Welcome to City Lights Church. Um, we're, we're currently in a, a series on identity, our identity in Christ. And um, why is identity so important? The reason why identity is so important, because if you don't know who you are, you will chase after anything and everything to find your identity, to find your significance. Um, we were created for significance. You were created for significance. But if you don't know that you are significant, you will chase after any number of things to um, fulfill that significance. And you'll be susceptible to the attacks of the enemy, the attacks of Satan um, that he tries to set up for you, those pitfalls. And so um, that's why identity is so important. Um, I, I recently picked up my daughter from school. School's out now, but a couple weeks ago, I picked up my daughter from school. And she's like, hey, I'm like, hey, babe, how's, how was your day? Um, you know, and she was, usually tells me, you know, a couple things that happened, but to, this time she was like, oh, don't ask. You know, she's in the backseat, oh, don't ask. It was ter- terrible, don't ask. I'm like, well, come on, tell me what happened. No, I don't want to tell you. So I finally pried it out of her, and she's like, well, we were playing horses, and this game that I invented, this other girl wasn't playing to the rules, and it ruined my day, and it was, it was terrible, you know. <laughs> And so, you know, in my world, that's not a big deal. But in an eight-year-old's mind, like, okay, I get it. That's a big deal for you. And this is what I told her. I'm, I'm like, all right, I'm going to teach her about identity right now. I'm going to teach her about who she is. I just said, hey, Evie, you know, sometimes in life, people don't behave the way you want them to behave. They don't, they're not, they don't do the thing that you think that they should do. And you need to be, um, you need to be a pre, pre-decide that you know who you are, and you pre-decide that you're going to have a good day. And people aren't in charge of your day. You're in charge of you, and you've decided that you're going to have a great day. So, um, and <laughs> as soon as soon as I said that, we we had driven over. So I'm explaining all this to her. We pre-decide that you know what you're about, what your identity is. People aren't in charge of your day. You're in charge of your day. If people, you know, rile you up, it's 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 your problem. You know. As soon as that happens, I um, get a chance to practice what I preach, <laughs> and. Um, I went over to the bank and made some deposits in the bank, and uh, I'm pulling out of the bank, and there's this high school kid, probably a sophomore in high school, he's walking across the street, and he's got a Mountain Dew in his hand, and he just, like, it's half empty, and he just chucks it, like, on the ground. Now, I don't know about you, I I came, I used to litter and stuff like that, I don't litter anymore, but I came to the city, like, I want to take ownership of the city, like, this is my city, like, I came here to plant a church and to make this place better, so I kind of assume people are raised with you know, respecting parents and stuff like that. So I'm like, I kind of honked my horn. I was like, hey, like, come on, like, pick it up, right? <laughs> so after I tell the story, you'll think, like, you should just mind your own business, Pastor Kurt. <laughs> so I do that, and the kid looks at me and flips me off. And then and I'm like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. Flips me off, and then proceeds to, like, do gang signs and stuff. And I'm like... Okay, we're doing that, I guess. And so, now my first thought was like, okay, this is my first thought. First 10 seconds, so don't judge me for my first 10 seconds. My first 10 seconds are, you're like a sophomore in high school. You're like a buck 30. Um, You're doing gang signs, but I don't see your gang, you know. It's just you. There's no gang with you, right? Something you don't know about me is I actually like fighting. I used to, I wrestled for years. I like MMA. Like, I don't need a reason to fight you. I don't, I don't, I don't need to hate you to fight you. I actually just like fighting in general. And uh, this is the first 10 seconds. And I'm like, I'm like riled up. And then, then I compose myself and I have this like 
vision of a newspaper article. Greeley pastor beats up high school kid, you know. <clears throat> I didn't think that would be good for this church, for you or for me, so that'd be kind of embarrassing. And so I recomposed myself. I'm like, okay. So I said, hey, Evie, did you see what that kid did? She's like, no. I'm like, he did this hand gesture. I'm not going to show you the gesture, and I'm not going to tell you what it meant either. But I want you to know it was very disrespectful. And she goes, oh, I don't like that. I don't like people disrespecting my dad. And I said, well, you know what I'm going to do about it? You know what I'm going to do that, kid? She goes, what? I said, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to go home, and you know what? I'm going to have a great day because I'm in charge of me. And I didn't, I didn't wake up today for him to decide if I'm going to have a good day. I'm going to have a great day. And I'm not going to think about this again. Amen? And so that, listen, that is, I know this seems like elementary. This is a very, like, practical example. I'm sure none of this never happens to you, right? You never have this happen in your life. But listen, I predecided that day that I was going to have a great day. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I know who I am, and I know why I'm in this city. And I'm not here to fight with someone, I'm here to fight for someone. In fact, I'm here to fight for that kid, amen? And so, um, man, we wanna bring revival, and we want, we want kids like that coming in here and getting saved and getting transformed. We can't expect people to act holy and awesome and great until the transformation process happens in their heart. We, sometimes I think the church expects people to like clean themselves up, and it's like they can't clean themselves up. They're doing by nature what they, were, what, what they do. They're, sin, they're sinners by nature, they're, like, they're just living out their nature. So you gotta, you got to introduce them to Jesus, get transformation into their lives before God can transform them. So, but listen, if you don't know who you are and what you're about, you will get sucked into everyone else's day. Like, like don't let other people set the agenda. Decide for yourself who you're going to be and how your day is going to go. This is why identity is so important. All right, so I'm actually going to skip my review here. Um, and just go kind of right into the message. I'm going to do kind of a part today. I'm going to do a part two of a message I did two weeks ago, which, by the way, thank you, Matt Henderson, for preaching. And, um, and thank you, directors and all of our volunteers who made this place run while we weren't here. I had, this is the first weekend that we missed um, since we launched the church was last weekend. And I, like, I woke up Saturday night. And I like had this little panic, like, is everything gonna be okay? And, uh, but it, I knew it would be, I knew it'd be, because we got an amazing team and, and they took care of it. So, but, um, so that's why I wasn't here last week. And two weeks ago, um, I did a message on friendship with God. And we looked at a few different characters in the Bible that the Bible called friends of God. And I wanna look at another one today. What we looked at two weeks ago was, um, number one, what was the friendship, what, what was it that made that person a friend of God? In other words, what was the friendship requirement? And number two, we looked at, what was the friendship benefit? What, was, what did they get out of that relationship? So we're gonna look at one more person um, today, uh, another friend of God in the Bible. Um, we read this verse two weeks ago, but I'm going to use it as kind of the diving board into this message. John 15, uh, chapter 15, verses 14 through 15. Um, you, he's, Jesus said this, you are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Okay, so Jesus says there's a point in your relationship with him where if you obey him, you're a friend, but then he takes you beyond that obedience um, layer of relationship and takes you into something deeper. He takes you into friendship and tells you not just to do something, but why, why are we doing this? Why are we, what, is the, what is the why behind what we're doing? Jesus said friend, he will do that with friends. The word friend in the Greek here, it's uh, phileos. 
Um, it means a friend, someone dearly loved or prized in a personal, intimate way, a trusted, confident, held dear and close bond of personal affection. And um, go ahead and go to the next um, slide there. In the, the outline of biblical usage, this is kind of cool. Um, one of the groom's friends who on his behalf asked the hand of the bride and rendered him various services in closing the marriage and celebrating the nuptials. Okay, so in, in today's terms, uh, we would call this person like a best man in a wedding, okay? That's the kind of like language Jesus uses friend. Like in a wedding, we would call this person a best man. Now, I don't know about you, but when I asked my wife to marry me, I did not ask my best man to go ask my wife for me to marry me. Like, I haven't done anything like that since junior high, you know? I have done that in junior high. Hey, that girl, I like her. Go ask her if she'll go out with me. Did anyone ever do that? Go, oh, come on, let's admit it. Okay, no one's raising their hands, okay? I feel very alone up here now. <laughs> but listen, that's what like junior highs do, and then you realize like it's not very confident to like, you should go ask the girl yourself, you know, you come to that place. But apparently, in culture, back in biblical days, that was like something you would do. You would say, uh, I ask for that girl's hand in marriage for me. You know, you, you tell your best man to go, and he would, he would, he would do that for you. This is, the, this is the word that Jesus used, one of the applications of the word friend that Jesus used. So how does this apply to us? Well, um, Ben had mentioned this when he did an amazing job at communion. Ben had mentioned that the church is um, the bride of Christ, right? And um, the Bible also describes Jesus as a heavenly bridegroom, okay? Jesus is his heavenly bridegroom. The church is a bride of Christ. And who was the friend of the bridegroom that the Bible talks about. Who was the friend of the bridegroom? Does anyone know? Oh, I heard a whisper. Um, the answer is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is described as being the friend of the bridegroom, or the best man in this wedding ceremony, okay? Um, now, who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist was the one who came to prepare people for the coming Messiah. He came to get people ready to, to receive the message of Jesus. Do you guys ever wonder why... Like, Jesus didn't just start his ministry. Like, why did he need John to go ahead of him? Why didn't Jesus just start his ministry? Well, one of the reasons for that is, I don't know if you know this, but from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of Jesus' public announcement, there were 400 years of silence from heaven. Like, no prophets had gotten words. God hadn't done anything amazing in Israel. There was 400 years of complete silence from heaven, and the atmosphere was completely spiritually dead. So between the end of Malachi in the Old Testament, or Malachi, the Italian prophet, as I like to call him, <laughs> the book of Malachi, the Italian prophet. Between the end of Malachi in the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament where Jesus was announced, 400 years. And to put that in context, like the United States, we've been a nation for, uh, I think it's 241 years. 241 years ago, the United States became like we signed the Declaration of Independence, right? So, like, imagine the whole history of the United States, nothing. God doesn't speak to anyone, doesn't do anything. There's 400 years of silence. Christopher Columbus landed in the Americas 525 years ago, so that's a little more than 400. But you get, you get the idea. There was this long period of time where nothing was happening. The point is it was totally spiritually dead, and they needed actually a pre-revival to get them ready for revival. They needed, like, a messenger just to get them ready. Though they were steeped, like the religious people, they were steeped in relig religiosity, but they were dead. It was completely dead spiritually. So that's why John was needed. Another interesting thing is that in traditional Jewish weddings, 
The time of the arrival of the groom was a mystery to the wedding attendants. But when it was time, it was customary for one of the groom's party to go ahead of the bride, or the, the groom, leading the way to the bride's house and shout, behold, the bridegroom comes. Isn't that cool? So John's this, this best man, this heavenly best man, announcing the coming of Jesus. Behold, the bridegroom comes as, it is, as it's like a wedding ceremony. So let's read about this best man. Let's read about John. John chapter 3, verses 25 through 30. Says this an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over a matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going over to him. Okay, so pause here for a second. John the Baptist, he has this vibrant public ministry, right? And now all of a sudden, all, the, all of his disciples, all these people are starting to go over to Jesus' side. Now, I don't know about you, but this was a really good opportunity for John to get, like, really insecure about his public ministry diminishing, right? Like, I think it's pretty astounding what happens next. How did John respond? He didn't get insecure. Verse 27, to this John replied, a person can only receive, can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride, check this out, verse 29, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. Verse 30, most, one of the most amazing verses. He must become greater and I must become less. So John's totally content. Like, this is amazing. John's totally content saying, I had this amazing public ministry. I had all this attention on me, right? Everyone's looking at me. And now all of a sudden Jesus comes and he's still on the show. And John's like, no, it's okay, because I'm a friend of the bridegroom. I'm not the groom myself. I'm here, and my ministry must decrease so that his can increase. Like, that's profound. John's identity was not wrapped up in a vibrant public ministry. John's identity was wrapped up in being a friend of the groom, the friend of the bridegroom. Okay, so, you know, when we do, when we do weddings, we have, you know, the guys here and the best men's usually the closest, and the maid of honors here, and the bride walks down. But they're there to serve the couple that's getting married. They're there to serve. They're not, you know, so they defer. They watch wherever they go to take communion or whatever. The, everyone's watching. And imagine if, if a bride had walked down the aisle and the groom's here and there's a best man and he's like not, not willing to get out of the way, you know, when it's time. It's like, like Michael Scott or something like that. Like, dude, get out of the way, you know. <laughs> like that would be really awkward. But John knew his place, and he knew where true joy, true joy, hear this, true joy would come from. True joy comes from attending to the bridegroom, not trying to get all the attention yourself. So with John, what was the friendship requirement? The friendship requirement, this is, um, we covered three, the reason why it says number four there is because we covered three last week, or two weeks ago. The friendship requirement was um, keep people's affections on Jesus. This made John a friend of the bridegroom. He, he kept the attention and the affection on the one it should be on, okay? John kept his sticky paws off the bride, right? So he was, a, in other words, he was a good best man. He kept his paws off the bride. He realized where the affection was supposed to stay, okay? And then friendship benefit number four was that he got to share in Jesus' joy. The Bible says that Jesus was, is anointed with the oil of joy above anyone, all of his companions. And so when we when we participate with Jesus in this way, we're actually able to share in the joy that Jesus has. How many want joy in their lives? 
Come on, joy is a good thing. So let me, let me bring this down and make it even more practical. If you are a follower of Jesus, as Ben said earlier, you are part of the church. You're part of the bride of Christ, right? If you're a follower of Jesus. But if you're a Christian, you also have a com- you've also been commissioned to ministry. If, if you didn't know this, you know this. How many Christians do we have in the room? I hope they're all raising their hand. How many ministers of the gospel do we have in the room? Okay, I just want to say there should be equal number of people raising their hands right now. Because you are, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are, congratulations, you're commissioned to ministry. Like, you have a ministry. Why do we know this? Because, now, it might not be in the, the professional, vocational sense, a full-time ministry or whatever like that. But we all are called to ministry. We're all called to be a friend of the bridegroom, right? I'm not the only person called to ministry here. Matthew 28:19. Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the Great Commission. This is the go of the gospel. Okay? I want you to focus on the word go. Um, this is for all of us. Okay? Now, for some of us, that's go to Thailand, go to India. For some of us, that's like go across the street, you know. So it doesn't mean we all go to the same place. It just means like we go and we, and we testify and we shine Jesus everywhere we go. That's what you're called to. I'll give you another verse, Ephesians 4.11 through 13. It says, he gave um, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. You are all saints. We're all saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body. Who is called to ministry? We're all called to ministry. What do apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, they equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You're called to ministry. Congratulations. Let's give you a clap. Congratulations. There's a certificate on the way out for you. (laughs) Your commission. I don't know. That actually would be kind of cool to really bring it home. Maybe, yeah, if you ever do this in a conference, like, here's your certificate. Don't forget your commission. But so when it comes to our heavenly betrothal, we're the bride of Christ. But when it comes to our earthly ministry, we are to be friends of the groom. We're to be friends of the bridegroom. Um, does, it, does anyone here, just for example, do you have dual citizenship? Like you're a citizen of the United States and of another country. Anyone? Okay. Nobody wants to admit that. No, just kidding. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, dual citizenship. It's like, it's like we're citizens of heaven, but we're also citizens of earth. Our, our real home is in heaven, but we're here on earth for a purpose right now. It's like dual citizenship. Like, I've been on some mission trips where, parts of the, parts of the world where, if you tell people um, you're an American, it, sometimes it affords you some more influence. You're like, oh, you're American. Well, tell me about America, you know, and it gives you some more influence. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, used his Roman citizenship to his full advantage. He was a citizen of Israel. He was also a Roman citizen. He would fully exploit and use that, that status to reach as many people as possible. And... Um, so sometimes being American gives you more influence in different parts of the world. Other places you go, they're like, you stupid Americans don't know anything. And it doesn't give you influence. It's like, there's some parts of the world, you're like, don't shoot, I'm an American, and they, they don't shoot. And other places, like, don't shoot, I'm American, and they shoot more. So it just depends. Not everyone likes America. But um, our citizenship is heaven is in heaven, but we have a ministry, a public ministry here and now. So what is, what is that ministry? It's to be a friend of the bridegroom and to prepare people for a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is like, go into all the world and find me a bride. 
Find me the bride that I paid for. Find me the bride that I purchased. Go into all the world and be a best man and ask for her hand. Ask for her hand in marriage for me. Would you go ahead of me? Would you, would you invite that bride to be my bride? Okay? Ask for her hand for me. Like It's like junior high, right? So Jesus asks us. That's our ministry. He asks us to go ahead of him and ask for individuals in the world to come into relationship with Jesus. That's our role. But don't make, make sure you're not doing it for the wrong reasons. Are you doing it for you or are you doing it for him? Are you doing it for, for his affection or are you doing it for your affection? Okay, um, Make sure you're not doing it to steal the bride's affections. Be a good best man and know when to step out of the way. My job as a pastor, my job is to point people into relationship with, with Jesus and, and then get out of the way. Like, I, you come here, I encourage you to have a relationship with Jesus, but the goal is not to look at Pastor Kurt or look at any of the ministry members. Our goal is, like, connect you with Jesus, and I want to share in that joy when you're connected with Jesus. That's, that's, that's our role. Your ministry is the same. Your job, your role, is to connect people to Jesus, but then step out of the way so they don't always have to need you, so that you feel significant. But this is one of the reasons why James says, that James in the Bible says, not many of you should become teachers. Like the groom might be better served if you're an usher or a greeter or a security member or in the birth or kindergarten ministry or whatever. Like it's, Jesus isn't necessarily always best served by you being a peer or you being wherever you think you should be. We, we should find out where Jesus is best served wherever you're going to go. Like what is the role that he has for you where, the, where you would serve the bridegroom the best, where you can be the best, best man. Sorry if you're a girl and I'm calling you best man, but you get the point. We're the bride of Christ, right? And we're the best man. So we're sons and daughters, right? Okay, so the question is, how can I be the best friend possible and serve Jesus' bride? Because I'm not after the bride's affections. I'm actually after his affections, right? Amen? Is this good? So um, I'll, I'll, I'll close with this story. Um, I don't know about you guys, but... Um, I was I was raised in the Lord like I got serious about God in like the late 90s and I was kind of raised in the Lord like in spirit-filled charismatic kind of environments and I've just had this thing I don't know if it's because of people who came through the Jesus movement who saw such a mighty wave of the spirit I don't know about you but um, I have been taught and, and, and believe this actually that there is a great revival coming revival that's going to sweep across the entire world before Jesus returns to this earth. Do you, guys, do you guys believe that? I believe that. I believe that there's coming a, a mighty move of the Spirit that's going to draw in um, people from all over the world. And um, I, to be honest with you, I've kind of gotten my eye off of that ball. I've kind of just thought more like local church, which is fine, and training and training these people and do that. But I've kind of gotten my eye off the ball of like worldwide global move of God and um, on the way back from South Dakota, I won't go into the details of it, but because um, we were on vacation in South Dakota last week, um, I was on, trying to on find on my phone something to listen to. I didn't have cell phone signal, so I had to like, find something on my phone. I just kind of hit, so I just randomly hit play, and this podcast comes up, which I won't go into. But this person was talking about a global harvest of, of people coming to Jesus before Jesus returns. And I felt like in that moment, I really felt like the Lord was highlighting this to me once again, that I kind of need to get my eye back on that, that paradigm of thinking. And um, I want to propose to you that there is a John the Baptist generation 
that will prepare the way of the bridegroom before he comes again. I want to propose to you that the generation that lives, and we believe well, we're as close as we've ever been. We do know that. <laughs> I don't know how close we are, but we're closer than we've ever been right now to the return of Jesus. I'll give you a date. Today, on, on June 3rd, we're closer than we've ever been. So, I didn't say it's coming today. I said we're closer than we've ever been. So, but I want to propose to you that there is a John the Baptist generation that will be here proclaiming Jesus is coming and I'm going to ask for your hand for this coming king. The Bible says, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that we can hasten. It says to hasten the day of the Lord, like speed its, speed its coming. It's like speed along, hurry it up. And I always thought of this date that Jesus returned as like a set date and time. But apparently, we can hasten, hurry up, accelerate the day of the Lord. How do we do that? Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said this. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's how we can accelerate the plan of Jesus coming back to this earth and setting it, ruling and reigning. We can do that by shining, by proclaiming the light and love of Jesus everywhere we go, by being the friend of the bridegroom, by connecting him to other people. And so I just want to commission you with that this morning. Actually, do we have a, maybe have the worship team come up. We'll do a, we'll just kind of respond to this and then we'll let you guys go. But I'm gonna, I want to just close this um, service just kind of praying that. And maybe you've gotten your eye off that ball of like, my purpose is, yes, like we need, we would talk about worship. We need that. We need to like have that loving connection with God so that we like have something to give other people. Like you can't give what you don't have, right? If you don't have an overflow in your life of love and light, like you can't give that away. And that's one of the reasons why we come together corporately to worship, to praise God, because he fills us up. But we're, what are we supposed to do after we get filled up? We're supposed to go out and pour it out. And the more you give, the more you live, the more you give out, the more you receive. And so I, this morning, I just want to commission you guys and encourage you guys to kind of re-sign up for that, for that commissioning and um, realize that you're called to be a friend of the bridegroom and connect people to Jesus and, and then get out of the way. So, Father, I thank you for every individual in this room. God, I pray, God, we want to be friends of you, Jesus. We want to be connected to you, Lord. We want to hear secrets, Lord God. We want to have inside jokes with you, Lord God. I pray that we would have such a loving connection with you, Father God. Just like when Ben was out on a bike ride and the Lord said, I have never settled. Like that was so profound. That was so amazing. Like God, speak like that to us. Speak like that to this church, Lord God. Tell us what you're thinking, God. Tell us what's on your mind, Lord God. God, I pray that we would go Get, help get what you paid for. We'd help redeem. God, you died for the whole world. Every man, every woman, every child, Lord God, you died to redeem them to yourself. Jesus, we want you to get what you paid for. And I pray that we'd be conduits of that, Lord God. And God, I pray as we do that, God, we would participate and share in the joy that you receive, Lord God. We love you. And I just release that over this church. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 God bless you guys. Let's worship with this last song.